the NHL draft less than a week away, we preview who we think will go in the top 10. Later in the show, we break down our first big trade of the offseason, Oliver Ekman Larson's decision to stay in the desert verbally, and the sour situation in Ottawa that just keeps getting worse. Also, a Toronto hockey team, what a thing. How about that? Episode 130 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Um, In less than a week, uh, the NHL draft is going to be happening, uh, the NHL awards, in a couple of days. So it's a very busy week, a lot to discuss. So we're going to preview our uh, top 10 uh, shortly. But first, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia as we do every week. Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. All right, question 19 is where we're going here. Wayne Gretzky won the Hart Trophy with a record 215 points in 1985-86. How many points did defenseman Herb Gardner need to win his Hart Trophy in 1926-27, 36-game schedule. Your options are A, 12 points, B, 24, C, 6, or D, 72. Um, I don't know. A lot of these questions, it's like, how am I supposed to know all these stuff? So I'm going to go with D, <laughs> D, 72. It was actually... Hey, he wants to win it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Because uh, uh, that's the looking of a hard trophy, a 12-point season, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he must have done a lot of other things besides score goals and set up goals. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's interesting stuff right there. Uh, anyways, uh, Brett, uh, you can take things over from here. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we have a uh, – I, I don't – I mean, I'm not too much of a – Draft guy, I do read a couple of things from the hockey news. I also have, um, I also read some stuff. I've I've been up on this mock draft stuff. I've been looking at a lot of mock drafts, which is kind of funny considering the Bruins don't even have a first round pick this year. So it's I, I don't even have a need to be excited for any of this. But um, anyways, um, I'm sure Steve is very excited because uh, his Ottawa Senators have a fourth overall pick, even though it's probably the only thing that he has hopeful going on around his team right now. So um, so uh, we're going to do a little uh, mini mock draft uh, where we're going to do uh, a top, we're going to figure out our the top ten for each um, or what what we predict is going to happen in the just for the top 10. Um, we're not going to do the full draft yet. Um, also, some things of note that uh, it's going to be it's what we think the teams will do and not what they should do. Um, and also, we there's probably going to be some crazy trade, um, but um. But we don't know that for sure yet. So we're not accounting for trades. We're assuming that these top 10 picks are going to remain with the teams that they currently have right now. 
at the moment. Um, all right, uh, but uh, first, I think we can we can both assume that uh, Buffalo and Carolina are gonna. We already kind of know who they're gonna who they're gonna take. Uh, so the first one is uh, Buffalo is gonna take Rasmus Dahlin. He's the forefront um, player that everyone's been taking. You know, he was. He's always been projected as the number one guy to take. He's been like touted as this is by the way, this is my favorite thing when I've been re- looking up on these is the comparable the NHL comparables. Uh yeah. so like THN has him comparable to Victor Hedman. Uh Dauber has him compared to Bobby Orr. And then like when I went on YouTube there was a couple people who compared him to uh, Brian Leach, which I'm like, all right, that's not uh, Victor Hedman or Bobby Orr, but okay. And then the, you know, and then I've read stuff where like he has the vision of Eric Carlson, but the the stick handling skills of Nicholas Lindstrom, and I'm just like, so basically he's just Swedish. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, he's yeah, just kind of Swedish yeah. genes. That's what it is. And, and, but like that's like my favorite thing about this is that like. Who cares? Like, who knows what he's gonna be like? Because it doesn't he's, really he's help Rasmus you. He's, yeah, he's, it's just like he's gonna be Rasmus Dahlin. That's that's what his comparable is. But um, <laughs> but it's just it's just funny how like how it's like it it isn't even really helpful because I don't even know what they mean by that. Um, he's gonna be Victor Hedman, or he's gonna be Bobby. Or- he could have the potential of a Bobby Orr type, and it's just like. Well, maybe I don't know what what that even means in this modern day world. But the mm-hmm. Brian Leach one was like a laughable one. I'm just like, all right, I guess he's not gonna be. Yeah, there's a new one. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Rasmus Dahlin. Um, we're gonna uh, instead of because we both know that we both pick Rasmus Dahlin as the first pick. Um, instead we're gonna ask. How is he going to do the his first year in the NHL um, for Buffalo? Uh, I have his stats up here. I have his stats for a lot of these guys here. So um, Rasmus Dahlin had in uh, so he's in the Swedish league, which is like the professional league there, kind of mm-hmm. like what Matthews did um, his uh, you know his last year before the draft, where he went to the Swiss league. Um, where it was a bunch of professional players, uh, Dowling did the same kind of thing. So he went to the Swiss, so the, the Swiss league, the Swiss, uh, the um, the Swedish league um, for Frölunda, and in that um, he had uh, in forty-one games he had seven goals, thirteen assists. That's twenty points in forty-one games. So that's that's basically he's already a pro in that sense because that's good for a def- That's very good for a defenseman. Um, in fact, that's a point forty nine points per game. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it, I'm not sure if Darlene, I was trying to think about how defensemen are, um, in previous drafts, like highly touted pre- previous drafts. Um, Aaron Ekblad was pretty good his first year, but like, you know, he didn't have a ton of points. Um, like, it took a while for Victor Hedman to get 
set in the NHL. It took a while for Dowdy to get set in the NHL. Um, you know, it's it, it like defensemen just typically take uh, take a while to develop, and um, so I'm not sure if Darlene will be like this good right away. Like, even though he is touted as this generational talent, I think it could be a couple of years before we really see what uh, Darlene is truly made of. But at the moment. Yeah. You know, um, especially for a team like Buffalo, where they are gonna, they still are gonna struggle with their defensive side of things. But um, at the same time, you know, like, you know, he's been hyped as like better than all these guys. So um, it's it's definitely possible. I wouldn't be surprised if he got like a forty point season. Um, this year, but at the same time, he might just be like, you know, get 30 points or 20 points this yeah. year. Um, you know, he'll show a lot of potential, but he won't necessarily, um, you know, be the best right away. And that's, that'll yeah. be interesting to see how he goes, how he does. Yeah, I'm not going to say he's going to be so big of a difference maker that the Sabres are going to make the playoffs, like you said. Um, but I think he's going to be close to an even plus minus. He'll get around 30 to 40 points. Um, definitely a nominee, uh, definitely a nominee for the Calder trophy. I think we can assume that. Um, I also think he's going to be averaging the second most minutes among Sabres defensemen by the end of the regular season, at least like this guy, I think could get an average of 20 plus minutes per game. I can definitely see his role gradually getting bigger as the season rolls along um, but it took Eric Carlson a couple of years before we really got to see what he was yep. truly capable of. And I think you're right. It's not, success is not going to come overnight for Rasmus Dahlin, but, um, we are definitely going to see some moments in the regular season where we go, my God, we know this kid is good, but he is that good. Right. Exactly. Especially since he's been hyped as this like generational talent, like you can't miss yeah, him. Yeah, he's getting more hype than Carlson did in his yeah. draft year. And well, I mean, Carlson was wasn't Carlson considered like a bust even before he even put on like even before he was even on the Senators. So well, actually, yeah. What What's yeah. funny is that uh, that they were actually taking some heat for drafting Carlson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's It's funny how the tables have turned now, like. Right. I can't even imagine what the Sens would be like without him. Uh, so I'm looking at the stats of what Aaron Ekblad, uh, what Aaron Ekblad did his first year, what Victor Hedman did his first year, and what Drew Doughty did his first year, because those have okay. been the three most hyped defensemen um, in, recently. Um, so both uh, Doughty, Doughty had his rookie year had 27 points. In 81 games, uh, not terrible for a defenseman, but not like what you would expect uh, from a second overall pick. Um, and Victor Hedman had uh, 20 points in 74 games, um, which is, you know, it's better, because uh, but he was playing in less games. Um, still, you know, still not great, I guess. And then Aaron Ekblad played, uh, he had 39 points in 81 games, so that's pretty good. Um, but, um, for a rookie defenseman. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Um, and I'm I, pretty sure Ekblad, I'm pretty sure won rookie of the year. Yeah. Season two. 
Um, yeah, I think that is correct. And, and that was, I'm pretty sure that was the year where Mark Stone and Johnny Hockey were also nominated, and Eckbud uh, beat both of them out. Uh, yeah. So that's, that, that's how good his season was. Um, I'm pretty sure. Sh- no, actually, oh, wait, uh, I was about to say, I thought I got this wrong here. Oh, yeah, Aaron Eckblad won the Calder Trophy. I almost said that uh, Nathan McKinnon won, but it was it was Aaron Eckblad. Um, I was like, wait a second, that doesn't check out. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, um, yeah, I don't know. I think the other interesting thing that we have to think about is that this is Buffalo that's getting Tallene, and... You know, Buffalo has been known for a while now that they, you know, they're not great defensively. They're not great with goaltending. And I'm not sure if Darlene will be the difference maker where he's going to, like, change. I mean, he will probably change their, um, their, you know, their, who will change their team for the better. Um, He is definitely a franchise player. Um, I'm just not sure if he'll be like a McDavid where he'll like affect um, everyone around him, where all of a sudden Robin Lehner is suddenly making saves and all that stuff. So right. um, so I think that that is a key difference where um, I'm not sure how good a defenseman can affect the team um, around them, um, especially for someone like, uh, like Erasmus Dulling, who's going to be pretty young. Um, I think we can go on to the next guy. Uh, this is another funny uh, comparable list because um, so the hockey news has him as he's compared to Rick Nash, and then Dauber has him compared to. Wait, hold on. I think it was someone who's supposedly better than oh Tarasenko. Um, so it's uh, it's like the, that's kind of a little bit of a difference if we're. Like, do, do they mean just in terms of style, or I don't know? Yeah, what they mean or, uh, go from streaky goal scorer to consistent goal scorer. Yeah, no, it's uh, just like what do they what do they mean by what that? What are they getting at here? I wonder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, the um, speaking of, but I, I guess from the two of those guys, we can gather that Shevnikov, Savetchnikov. I I'm gonna misbutcher his name whatever, for, yeah. for the whole time. He probably butchered it one too many times yeah, yeah. already. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, he played... Um, either way, what he did in the OHL is really impressive. I was just yeah. looking at the stats. He has 40 goals in 44 games. Um, he also had 32 assists, if that matters. So um, he had a 1.64 points per game in 44 games. Um just incredible that when you think about it, that he almost had a goal per game. Um, I know with OHL or pretty much any league in the CHL, they their stats are kind of jumbled all together. But just to have forty goals in forty four games is crazy impressive. Um, so um, so, anyways, he's gonna go. He's gonna be drafted for Carol in Carolina. Um, it's kind of, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they match it up. I believe he's a right winger. Um, so, um, so he could be, I don't think, I'm not sure if he's going to be with Sebastian Ajo. Um, he's, I mean, Tara Vinen is a right winger, so he's probably not going to be on there, but 
Carolina really needs a center. Um, so, um, so that's going to be, um, an interesting thing to see how they like work with him, um, in the lineup. Like, are they going to take it slow and put him on the, you know, the bottom six lines at first, or are they going to put him up on the top six lines? Cause really all the, uh, Hurricanes have at the moment is Sebastian Ajo, Teravainen, and Jeff Skinner, and those are all wingers. Um, I mean, Jordan Stahl was okay. Um, Elias Lindholm could be something still, but we we don't really know for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But they're pretty weak on the forward group, other than Ajo and Teravainen. So, um, and Skinner, who who is just uh, also very streaky. So. I'll be curious to see how um, he's probably not going to get 40 goals in 44 games, but um, I could see him getting like something like maybe 20 goals, um, maybe 15 goals. It really just depends on how they, um, how they deploy um, Shevnikov um, on the, on the lineup. And that's what I'm, I'll be curious to see. Um, by the way, this is assuming that Carolina is going to put him in the lineup right away, but I'm pretty sure they will. Um, yeah, I think we can assume that. Um, yeah. So what do you, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about Andre Shevchenkov? Well, I'm I'm thinking around the same ballpark as you, uh, around 20 goals and 40 points in year one. Because let's let's remember that Carolina is a young team. And we don't know what their lineup is going to look like uh, in a couple of months from now, what kind of style they're going to play. Uh, I definitely think he's going to be a top six forward. I don't think he's going to start on the top line right away. Um, and and when you look at uh, his level of experience in North America, only two seasons. He spent one year in the USHL, one year in the OHL, and that's it. There is going to be some growing pains with this kid. They're going to have to be patient with him. He's going to have some flashes of billions throughout the regular season, but this is going to be a process. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, this will be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And I think it'll be kind of similar to how Darlene is, is like, we will see how, like, we'll see potential, but we won't necessarily see, like, he, we know that he's definitely going to have better years. Um, yeah you know, um, in the upcoming seasons. Um, but we just know that it's not going to probably not going to happen right now. Um, yeah. He's not going to blow people away right off the bat. Yeah. Um, of course, like, you know, there is a possibility that both Darlene and Shevnikov will blow people right, right off, um, the first yeah. time. But, um, but I don't know if it's necessarily going to happen. Um, yeah, I from an it, offensive standpoint is what yeah. I'm talking about. Because, again, Buffalo and Carolina are two young teams that yeah. haven't really had playoff success. They haven't really made the playoffs, yeah. period, over the better part of the last five years. Right. So it, it it's going to be a feeling out process. And we've kind of been spoiled by uh, in the 2015 and 2016 draft. Because it's not like, you know, because Austin Matthews, Connor McDavid, Patrick Laine, and Jack Eichel have been you know, very, you know, very good right off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not usual. It's more like what happened to Nico Heischer and Nolan Patrick this year, where they show signs of being good, but, you know, they didn't actually have great years 
per se right. um, this year. So um, it might be more a line on what happened last year with rookies instead of what happened two years ago or three years ago, um, per se. Um, okay, so now it gets kind of tricky because uh, the rest of the the rest of the list is kind of now a crapshoot, um, per se. Um, so we're going to start with what Montreal is going to take. Uh, they've kind of, I mean, we, it's a little bit of a spoiler news, but they made a big trade um, this week uh, where they traded away their only known natural center um, away. So maybe they're looking for a center. Uh, they also were reportedly looking for defensemen. There's a lot of defensemen other than Darlene who's available at this spot. So um, so who do you have as Montreal taking? Have you ever heard of Yasperi Kotkanemi? Uh, I, I probably yes. butchered that as well. Yeah. Uh, NHL.com uh, says, don't be very shocked and surprised if he goes in the top five or the top ten. Yep. And if you're a team like Montreal and you're looking for a future top center, this might be the guy. Uh, here's what Elite Prospects has to say about this 17-year-old from Finland. Quote, small fork with a dangerous shot, caught Kenny possesses a high hockey IQ and determination with the skills to back it up. He positions himself well and often seems to be a step ahead of plays. Stick handling and creativity allow him to split professional defenses as a teenager. He's got a decent size and frame, yet a very capable skater, end quote. If you look at the Habs right now, they have Andrew Shaw, Carl Alsner, and Shea Weber that play with a ton of grit. So does Brendan Gallagher, and he was their top goal scorer last season. And I I know, uh, based on email discussions, that Brett keeps pointing to Brady Kachuk as a guy who could fit in well with Montreal, especially yeah. considering that Kachuk's secondary spot is the face-off dot. Right. But you, you're, if you're looking for a natural center and you're wondering if Druin is the answer to your problems, and we obviously know that Galchenik is not because he's now... Uh, elsewhere. Right. And I look at their chances of getting John Tavares with Price and Weber on those big contracts. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So they need a future center. They have lots of picks in this draft, but they don't pick again until uh, 35th overall. This has got to be a good selection. And if I'm Mark Bergevin, I'm going with this kid. See, this, this is the thing. So I also have uh, Montreal taking Jesperi Kotkaniemi. Oh, I, I thought I, I didn't think we'd be on the same page I at know, all. Okay. I know, I know. I'm surprised too. But, um, well, I, I think this is like the sneaky pick that people think that Montreal is going to take. Yeah. I, however, I don't think Montreal should take them. I think they should take Philip Sedina. He's by far the best player available at the moment. And I think the interesting thing about this is that Kotki and Emmy, I'm, I'm going to definitely butcher his name. Um, I think we all are until yeah, we hear it on draft day. Exactly. Um, actually, Elite Elite Prospects has a pronunciation. Let's see here. Yes, Perikotkaniemi. Okay, so we were kind of close. Um, anyways, he um, the thing with Kotkaniemi or just this draft in general is that it's very like winger heavy, very defenseman heavy, and I feel like he this kind of draft isn't like, you know, like you can, like, of course, Montreal is going to need a center, but this Kalakinemi is going to need a couple more years 
um, in the minors. So it's not like you, you can bring him up right away. Um, yeah. You know, you can't, like, fill a need for him, but I have a feeling that they are going to take him because supposedly he's the best center of the centers that are available. Um, even though I feel like they should take a guy like Philip Sedina, Brady Kachuk, or even Quinn Hughes. Um, so, so yeah, so that's what I think Montreal will do, but um, I don't think that's what they should do. But as a Bruins fan, I am purely happy that they don't, they aren't gonna, if they aren't gonna take Philip Sedina, that, that is fine by me. I uh, hope you uh, ruin your, um, your life, I guess. But um, it's just uh, also the funny thing about this, if we're talking about NHL comparables, both Hockey News and Dauber Hockey both compared him to Jeff Carter. So, uh, so there's that. Although he doesn't seem to be a huge goal scorer um, in the Finnish League, he had 10 goals, 19 assists, that puts 29 points um, in 57 games. So that's not great. Um, but it's also the Finnish League, so I'm not necessarily sure um, how they see that. But, um, yeah, I have a feeling that Kotkaniemi will be rise up, even if Montreal doesn't take them, um, just because he is a center and all these other players um, are not. So there, there is that aspect of things. Um Okay, let's bring go to uh, Ottawa. Um, who do who do you have as your team taking? So if he's still available, it will be Philip Sedina. Yep. And Pierre Dorian has said in the past they are going to go ahead and take the best player available at the draft when they pick. Um, so taking a look at his numbers: forty-four goals and eighty-two points over a fifty-seven game stretch with Halifax and then QMJHL. Uh, that was in the regular season in the playoffs, five goals and 12 points in nine playoff games. That's pretty good. And um, he also played the World Juniors this past winter with the Czech Republic, and he scored seven goals in as many games. If you look at the Sens on the right side, Zadina is a right winger. Mark Stone is their top guy. Ryan DeZingle had a decent year, but in my opinion, he's not someone you can rely on forever on the second or third line, not yet at least. Bobby Ryan and Marion Gabrick could be bio candidates. Both of them play on the right side. And I should also remind fans that Burroughs was put on waivers during the deadline and nobody picked him up. So uh, he's another right winger that could be expendable. And down the stretch, if you look at their prospect pool on the right side, it's not that good either. You got Andy Sturtz, who they uh, just signed uh, to a contract, Gabriel Gagne, and Jack Rodewald. And even if Ty Randall and Michael Blunden are re-signed, the odds of them getting a solid crack at the NHL level next year aren't pretty high. So if Zadina doesn't survive past the top three um, and Montreal ends up taking him, the other guy I can see them taking is Oliver Wallstrom. Yep. Uh, especially with Hoffman on the trading block. This guy, from what I've read, is pretty good at the one-timer. He's got goal-scoring ability. If Zadina's not available, they'll take Wallstrom. But if Zadina is available, they will take Zadina. Yeah, I've heard good things about Wallstrom, and I'll talk about him later. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I, I also have Philip Sedina as the pick for Ottawa. I feel like Philip Sedina is, like, the guy that is also can't miss, um, much like Sevnikov and Darlene are 
I can't miss prospects. I feel like Zadina is in a similar vein to that. Um, he, as you mentioned before, he had 82 points in 57 games, um, including 44 of those points were goals. Um, so it looks like he can do kind of both things. He can play make and he can also score goals. Apparently he also has a great two way game. Um, but you know, he's more known for his scoring abilities than his, uh, assisting abilities. So I think, uh, Sedina is, is, should be the pick, um, and will be the pick if he is available at four. Um, it is kind of funny because Montreal kind of ruins everything, but I did, uh, I think I did email you a couple of days ago where I found the tweet where Zadina was interviewed by Montreal. Um, and he said that, uh, he, he loves Montreal. He grew up being a Habs fan when he was a kid, um, or something to that effect. Uh, but he, he thinks that the Montreal is going to go with a center or defenseman instead of, uh, what he is, which is a left winger. So, Mm -hmm. um, I I suppose that he'll go, um, he'll, he, he should, and then also Bob McKenzie also said that they expect that Zadina will drop, but I don't see him dropping further down than four for Ottawa, um, but yeah, and, and I know you were saying that, like, you know, likely Hoffman's gonna be traded, um, but I don't necessarily know if he's going to be playing in Ottawa right away. Maybe next season, but probably not this season. Um, I know that they, Ottawa does need to be good this year because they won't have a first-round pick next year. So maybe they do rush him in um, and put him in the lineup, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure if they will. Um, and that's kind of the same for Montreal. So I know they need centers, but I'm not sure if they'll put them in right away, um, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does, but I think Zadina is far away the best player that uh, could be taken. Um, and then uh, now we have fifth for Arizona, another team that's been in the news this week. Um, so who do you have as Arizona taking? Five. I think it'll. I think they end up going with Oliver Wallstrom okay. again, provided he's available. Uh, if you look at uh, their uh, daily face-off uh, uh, chart, which was last updated on March thirty-first, twenty eighteen, Richard Panic was their first line left winger. Domi was their second line left winger. Perlini the third, and Martinuk the fourth. Um, so they're not strong on the right side like Ottawa either. Uh, yeah, Keller is the main guy, but Ronaldo, Fisher, and Cousins round out two, three, and four. So I think Arizona ends up taking the guy that Ottawa did it. So if Ottawa takes Wallstrom and Zadina still up there, they take Zadina. If Wallstrom is uh, still up there, they're going to take Wallstrom. Um, or maybe just for fun, they will take a guy like Quinton Hughes and somehow stack up their defense even more. Like. Yep. They have Oliver Ekman Larson. They have Jacob Chikrin. And now you add a guy like Quentin Hughes into the mix. All of a sudden, their defense is looking pretty good for the future. Yeah. So that would be an interesting pick if they went with Quentin Hughes. But I think they I think they go with Wallstrom. Yeah, so I I I was debating if they go with Wallstrom or Hughes. Those were actually the two that I was debating they take. 
Um, I think they're actually going to go with Quinn Hughes. I was okay. just looking at Arizona's like depth things and like they sure they do need like a right winger and they do need, but they also do need defensemen as well um, in their system. So um, like they, I mean, I feel like it couldn't hurt to have. I mean, I know they have Chikrin, I know they have OEL in the main thing, but I feel like it couldn't hurt to have another defenseman. So I'm going to say that they're going to pick uh, Quinn Hughes, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go with a guy like Oliver Wallstrom. But, um, yeah, so Quinn Hughes that you didn't really say much about, but you did mention him. He's um, he's at University of Michigan. Um, he has three goals, 13 assists, um, or that's 16 points. In 37 games, um, that's pretty good for a defenseman. I feel like he's the best defenseman that's not named Dahlin in this draft, um, which we'll get into in a bit. But um, yeah, so I think Quinn Hughes will be that kind of guy, um, and it'll be a. I mean, especially with this OEL stuff, I don't know. I feel like it, it just doesn't hurt to get more defensemen, especially when there's yeah. a couple of other defenseman that could be available too. So I I mean you look at what Nashville's yeah. done and they've got so much defensemen up the wazoo and, exactly. and they're a Stanley Cup contender. Yes. So if if yeah. Arizona wants to have success, the more defense the better, right? Yeah, and it's it's not necessarily that Wallstrom's terrible or anything. It's just that Quinn right. Hughes has been playing um has had better competition. Um, and, has, and they have a lot of talented yeah. forwards as well in their system, exactly. too. So why draft another one, right? Right, right. They have a guy like, uh, I'm trying to think, though. They have, like, Ryan Merkley. Um, yeah. I think they have, well, they definitely have Dylan Strom still, although he's a center. Although they'll probably make him into a winger. I mean, they have Clayton Keller in the system, although he, I guess he's technically not a prospect anymore. Um, yeah. So, um, so they definitely have, like, their fill in terms of actual, um, in terms young of talent, young talent, exactly. So, um, they have Lawson Krause, that's another guy, but, um, yeah. who knows how he's going to be. So, um, oh, and I guess they also picked last year, they picked Pierre Oliver Joseph. Um, yeah. I think that's how you pronounce his name. So, um, I don't know. That could be. It could be something if if they can also get Quinn Hughes um, with an OEL Pierre Oliver Yosef and Chikrin. That's a that's a pretty good uh, top four. Um, all right, so I'll I'll do six through ten pretty quickly here. Um, I think Detroit goes with Oliver Wallstrom. Um, by the way, it's when I first started this, it said that he was committed to going to Harvard next year, but. It looks like he switched, and he's now going to BC this year. Um, he is also um, he also had 48 goals in 62 games. Um, I think that it could be a cool fit in uh, Detroit for years to come. Vancouver, um, I have picking uh, Brady Kachuk. I know I've said in the past where I thought Brady Kachuk is a, a can't-miss prospect, but I think uh, he's kind of slipped in drafts. I also was looking at his stats the other day. Um, they aren't that impressive, really. Um, 31 points in 40 games, sure, that's that's good. But he also has eight goals. Um, I think he has kind of like a, people think that 
it's because Matt Kachuk's been pretty good um, in Calgary that people think that Brady Kachuk is going to be a similar player, if not better than him. Um, like he's like a power forward of sorts. So, um, so those are always risky to take. But I, I think he's going um, at seven for Vancouver. And then we'll have a bit of a defenseman run here from uh-huh. 8 through 10, where I think 8 will take, uh, Chicago will take Evan Bouchard uh, from the London. Um, he has 87 points in 67 games, which is incredible for a defenseman. I know it's the OHL, but uh, still, like that, that is incredible. Um, no, it's ridiculous. Not just incredible, it's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Uh, he has uh, 62 assists, 25 goals, um, 87 points in uh, 67 games. I've been reading that his the one knock on him is that he's not very good defensively, but yeah. um, you know who cares if you can put up 87 points in 67 games as a defenseman? Who needs who needs to even play de- defense? Um, so, so there's that. Um, I have the New York Rangers taking Noah Dobson, um, from the QMGHL, uh, Akati Backhurst Titans, uh, yeah. the Memorial Cup, uh, champions, um, supposedly he's very good there. Uh, he had 69 points in 67 games, so it's a, kind of a similar thing for Evan Bouchard, where that's very good. Um, but he's just, you know, he's more of a, he only has 17 goals instead of 25 goals compared to Bouchard. Who has and he's also uh, played in one less season of CHL hockey than Bouchard as yeah. well. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Dobson goes ahead of Bouchard or even goes ahead of Kachuk. But um, okay. at the moment, I have, I have them. I feel like. For like six through ten or five through ten is kind of a crapshoot, um, although it really should be four through ten um, because I don't know if necessarily Kachinomi um, is as good as Philip Sedina. And then at ten, I have um, I think Edmonton. This is another one where it's like need all the best player available also meets their need. Um, Edmonton will take Adam Bogfist. Um, he's another one who also played in a professional league like Sweden, um, like uh, Rasmus Dahlin, but he didn't do as well as Rasmus Dahlin did, but um, it's still kind of impressive. Um, I have here that he had 24 points in 25 games, but I don't think that's correct. Um, let me pull up his... Um, his uh, actual stats uh, for the for the professional league, he had uh, one assist in 15 games in the SHL. But in his, in the uh, league beforehand, he had 24 points or 14 goals and 10 assists um, in 25 games. So for for defenseman, that's pretty solid, though. Yeah, but like compared to like when he was put on into a professional league, like the same league that Darlene was in. Um, yeah. He only had one assist in 15 games, so that's not okay. as impressive. But he has so much potential and upside that I think yeah. you kind of have to take him at this spot um, if you need to. And that's really why I put him down at 10, 
is just because he had he'll he'll probably be like a project of sorts. Like I don't know if he'll be good right away. We don't really know how good he'll be, so um, we could see him. Um, I'm I'm not sure why you would take him over all, all these other nine guys that I have um, up here. So yeah. Yep. Right, so that's my uh, top ten. Who are your six through ten? So um, because Quentin News is still on my board, uh, Detroit is going to make the most captain obvious okay. pick and uh, draft the University of Michigan defenseman. Uh, 29 points in his first three seven games uh, with uh, the University of Michigan Wolverines. That would be kind of cool uh, to t- see because I believe Quinn Hughes is also from Michigan, so that would be kind of cool yeah. to see that. So uh, it would be pretty poetic, you know, Michigan yeah. connection up the wazoo. Uh, this team needs young defensemen. They need it bad. You look at Mike Green, you look at Nicholas Cronwall, nearing their, the end of their prime or definitely well past it. Um I think uh, Quentin Hughes would be a great uh, addition to the Red Wings there. Yeah. Uh, I actually have the Canucks taking Adam Bjorkvist, uh seventh overall. Okay. And just imagine him and Ole Uolevi on the same defensive pairing. Adam shoots right. Ole shoots left. There's definitely going to be some work needed. But I think for a young squad, that'd be a solid defensive pairing in okay. the future there. So uh, that's why I t- have the Canucks uh, taking Bjorkvist at uh, number seven. Okay. Chicago at number eight, they're going to take Noah Dobson. Um, at uh, the end of the season, they had Blake Hillman and Jordan Orsterley as their third defensive pairing. Uh, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, that does not sound good. Nope. Neither does Gustafson and Connor Murphy as their secondary pairing. So they need defense. Especially with Seabrook and uh, Keith nearing the end of their prime. Well, they also have um, they also have Henry Yokoharu, um, who yeah, they drafted last a, year. He's another up and coming defenseman too, but so uh, he could be something. But yeah, no, they yeah. do need defensemen too. So that's that's true. Yeah, so I think they would take Dobson in that okay. regard. I, I think he's a bit more all rounded as well, rounded around the edges. Uh, still needs some work. You know, he's a young guy. He still needs to learn some things, but. I think he's more of a complete defenseman than Evan Bouchard, who the Rangers will take ninth overall. And okay. like you said, he had a great season. Um, a part of me wonders, though, if they would take Brady Kachuk just to piss off all of the big stars in the Metro Division. That'd be fun to watch. That would be kind of cool, um, yeah. But uh, I think they're going to take Evan Bouchard. And speaking of Brady Kachuk, that is who I have the Oilers taking at 10th overall okay. because for a couple of reasons. First off, if you want to get rid of Milan Lucic and his bad contract, you need someone that can bring a bit of offense and a bit of toughness. Kachuk brings both. And also, imagine him and his brother Matt going up in the Battle of Alberta for the better part of the next five to ten years. That is going to be fun to watch. So for that reason, among others, that's why I think Brady Kachuk is going to slip to number ten and fall on Edmonton's lap. Yeah, they uh, also they also need uh, depth in the bottom six too, and Kachuk fills that need too. Yeah, I I guess that could be interesting. I feel like Edmonton needs defensemen more. Like they do have, yeah, you know they do have Nurse, they do have Clefbaum, who could be something. But I feel like they'll go with a defenseman. But um, if they were to go that route, but I I, I don't know. I I guess Brady Kachuk will drop a bit. Um, from what he was a couple of week months ago, so so there's that. Um, also, I was 
I was looking at some other mock drafts, and a lot of them had, like, Ty Smith. Um, I think there was another one. Barrett Hayden is another one. And Joel Farabee and Joe Felino um, were other ones that uh, could make it into the top ten, possibly. Uh, but it does seem like, for the most part, though, these top ten are the the 10 that the teams will probably take, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, um, yeah, so, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> it almost, it almost makes me wish I watched, uh, these players play, um, yeah. instead of just looking at their stats and what scouts say. Um, but, uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, we'll, uh, we'll get you all covered, uh, uh, next week. Uh, but now we're going to do um, the rapid fire. Um, so we have a couple of things that happened. Um, so Hoff, so uh, the biggest news, if you haven't heard, unless you're living under a rock or if you're watching ESPN all day. Um, it was funny, when I was telling this to my dad, my dad's just like, wait, this happened in the NHL and... And I'm like, wait, no one's talking about this? And uh, so, so no, uh, if you watch ESPN and you're just a casual hockey fan, you don't know that uh, the, the juiciest story that has happened in a long, long, long time um, happened this week uh, where, uh, so... First, well, it didn't happen this week. It's been happening pretty much all year. Well, it, we it came to the forefront. We about it until now. It came to the forefront. So, so just to recap, um, Eric Carlson and his wife, um, as I think it was, when when did this happen? Was this uh, when did their baby die? Was it? I uh, hate to be so callous about it. Mid to late March. Right, it was in March. Middle I thought March. I knew it was sometime this year, but I thought it was maybe like in February or something. But it was. I remember it was towards the end of the season because Eric Carlson for. The better part of the last couple of weeks of the regular season, he only played in home games. He didn't go with the team on the road. He just That's played right. in the home games. Okay. So anyways, his um, his his wife, Melinda, uh, filed a uh, restraining order on Mike Hoffman's longtime girlfriend. I believe it might be a fiancé. Um, fiancé, yeah, I believe. Monica yeah. Carrick. It's crazy that I know their names by heart now. But, um, yeah. Supposedly, uh, Melinda has pro- has uh, believes that Monica has been uh, saying nasty things to her, um, including that she uh, she was glad that her baby died. She hopes that Eric Carlson um, has suffers a crazy injury, um, and I think there's another. Um, crazy thing that, uh, that that was believed to be said by Monica. Um, I think you have it. So, uh, so here's what uh, Melinda wrote. Monica Carrick has uttered numerous statements wishing my unborn child dead, which actually happened, unfortunately. She also uttered that she wished I was dead and that someone should take out my husband's legs to end his career. Okay. She so has posted over 1,000 negative and derogatory statements about me as yep. a professional. And then, uh, and then there's also like a bunch. Once this news broke, there was a bunch of uh, tweets uh, from the senators' wives 
Um, a lot of them said that, like, how they were in support of Melinda Carlson and how this isn't surprising um, at all coming from Monica. Um, and then uh, the interesting thing, uh, there's a bunch of tweets. If you want to read the tweets out, because I don't have them offhand, but um, do you have the tweets that were said? Uh, well, I remember that Marley Hammond, uh, the wife of Andrew Hammond, yep. um, basically, uh, it started off with, oh man, if, if only you knew how unsurprising this actually is. Right. Uh, Julie Turris, uh, the wife of Kyle Turris, who has been teammates with Hoffman and Carlson for many years, uh, before he was traded to Nashville, um, um, basically talked about how Melinda wanted to keep this private, and that it it went from like like cyberbullying to something much different back in March and April. So this whatever Monica says, this being thrown against her is not helping her case at all. Right, right. Um, and then what ended up happening is uh, then uh, Monica and Mike both came spoke out. First, Mike Hoffman said that they're 150% sure it wasn't them, and they're willing to help the Carlsons and the police in finding out who this actually was. Um, and then also, a couple days later, uh, they had a, a kind of an interview with uh, the Ottawa Citizen, and uh, this is where it gets kind of interesting, because um, it says here, uh, I'll quote it, I got a horrific email from a girl named Taylor Winnick, and I believe her husband plays in the NHL. Saying, that would be Daniel Winnick, yeah. Yep, which is kind of funny because this is like, you know, you know who, ta- who Daniel Winnick is. Saying that I'm a horrible and disgusting person, accusing me of writing negative stuff about the fact that Eric and Melinda lost their child, Carrick says, so this is coming from Monica. It's all untrue, just to state the facts, that was the first time that I was aware of any of this. Um, Carrick said that she never discussed the situation with Melinda. Melinda has never come to me with any of this. Nothing, uh, Carrick said. So this, so at this point, and she also admits that yep. they were civil, but they're not buddy buddy. They're yep. not best friends. And then also later in this article, uh, Mike went up to Eric and after practice, and um, Mike was saying like you know, this isn't Monica, like, Monica's not saying this stuff, and then Eric just says, like, I know it's her, and then just leaves, and that's, that, that was it for them. And so, so this is kind of like, you know, this, at this point, before I read this, I felt like, okay, so the Twitter wives are against them, it's not really proof, but it's, it's possible that it could be Monica. It seems like it's possible. And then and then I read this and I'm like, wait a second, something doesn't like add up where it's like you think that if you're Melinda, like I understand you're you're in a traumatic situation for both Melinda and Eric. So don't get me wrong, I'm not like accusing them of anything. But I could understand being kind of like mentally out there where you believe that this person is out to get them and you don't necessarily have proof, but like you think that you'd be able to talk to Monica or um, about this situation instead of actually, 
you know, like putting in a report on it. And it's also the other thing was like, you know, that, that there was supposedly that Melinda wanted to keep everything private, which is fine. And I respect that because, you know, if you want to take the high road in that, but then why are you even uh, putting it out in the forefront and putting it like if you're reporting it to the police, it shows that you do care about this and you are serious about it. And you you talk about that. What's interesting is that Hoffman and Carrick didn't find out about this through the police. They found about this through the media. Yeah. And so, so that's what I find. So I don't know, maybe the police, like someone leaked it out in the police and maybe like, I don't know if Melinda maybe expected the police, like it to come out. So there may, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt there, but at the same time, I'm not necessarily sure, like, if that's necessarily, like, keeping it private and taking the high road. So I don't want to accuse, and I think this is one of those situations where I don't think we know um, the entire story. Because it could be, it's really just a he said, she said kind of situation. Right, and, and that's where the evidence is yeah. going to come into play here, because that's exactly. really going to nix someone's argument here. And... And it's, it's more like, because on one side we have Melinda and Eric who want to keep things private uh, because they just, you know, they just suffered a huge thing, yet they care about, about this so much that, you know, I mean, I, I guess a hundred, a hundred emails or messages is, is a lot. So I, I would find that annoying too. Um, and they... Um, but they file a report because they believe it's someone they know. Um, and then it's, and then the Hoffmans are like, and, and Monica, I guess Hoffman and Monica are going like, wait, what's going on? We didn't do this. This is horrible, of course, but we didn't actually do anything. And so it, it all really comes down to if the Carlsons have proof that it was Monica. And if they're taking this yeah. to court, obviously, you yeah. would think they would have some proof, right? Right, you would, but it could also be like, you know, you don't, nest, like, the only proof I was thinking about this is, like, the only proof that you would need is just a screenshot of the account, and then you trace the account to the IP address, and then you see if that's near where the Hoffmans live or where Monica could conceivably do it. So that's the only proof you would need. But I'm not necessarily sure if they do have it. I mean, you could, since this is Eric Carlson, you should give him the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, it's like, you know, is it it's innocent until proven guilty. You have to find proof. It's not like you can accuse random people just because you've, you you don't like them. Um, so there there is that situation. Um and also, like, I, I was seeing this said, and I think you'll agree with this, is what really should have happened is it was supposedly reported that the Ottawa Senators, Melnick and Dorian, both knew about this situation before it came out. And what Dorian... Yeah, I think they were aware of it towards the end of the season. Yeah. Based on what uh, Hoffman uh, and his agent have said. But what... what what really should have happened is Melnick and or Dorian and or Boucher, um, so the coach, GM, or owner, 
should have put all four of these people together in a room and just sorted out. Because there is definitely some miscommunication that is going on. Yeah, I between. definitely think the communication needs to be better. And 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 they the those three people should should have been responsible in getting these four people together, especially considering that Eric Carlson is a franchise player. He is basically a Bobby Orr, the modernized version of Bobby Orr. Um, so that's someone that you want to keep happy. Um, I, you know, despite all this contract stuff and what's what's said on the outward stuff. And you also want to keep uh, Mike Hoffman, who's one of your best forwards um, on the team, also happy and not, like, paranoid about what's going on. So it just makes sense. If, if there's truly a fight that's going on between these two players, why not just, like, have them hash it out and talk it out? Um, it, like, before it gets to us, like, speculating on what's what actually happened and so so yeah that's my take but uh, uh as a sense fan i'm sure you have a calm reaction to this <laughs> <laughs> calm reaction yeah, yeah that's funny <laughs> exactly <laughs> I know, we haven't even talked about what's the aftermath of this all. But. Now it all makes sense why Hoffman's been on the trading block for yeah, so long. Yeah, exactly, it's true. It's like, why is he on there? Why would you do it? And then news yeah. like this comes on, I'm just like, okay, that's why. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, nice it, also, it also explains why Eric Carlson wants to leave, too. Uh, well, if it, it, it explains why the perception of Carlson leaving um, just keeps growing and growing yep. and growing amongst the Suns fan base. Because why Why in the world of Eric Carlson would you say, yeah, I want to stay in Ottawa? Right, know? especially like, after the, yeah. It's gone from, like, whether or not this organization can afford me, it's just like, how am I going to be treated once I sign that big fat contract? Yeah. <laughs> so, for, first off, if you look at what happened with the Kyle Turris situation, negotiations, for whatever reason, uh, they didn't really go that well. If there were any negotiations to sign to a contract extension, they were pretty set in their ways by the sounds of it. it, it for whatever reason, the Sens organization isn't about letting people talk stuff out. And I think since the death of Brian Murray, this organization has lacked leadership. And again, we saw it with Randy Lee getting suspended for his actions um, in uh, the weeks leading up to the NHL draft. So um, if you're not caught up on that news, that's a story for another day. But anyways, Randy Lee suspended. And um, talking things out just for whatever reason, in my opinion isn't the senator's way right now. And it should be, but right now it doesn't seem to yeah, be. Yeah, I guess I guess my you point can, is, you can is just that... sort things out by talking to one another. And I think I don't think the Carlsons were keen to talk about this because if it, it was that bad and escalated to a certain point, you're just like, you know what? We're done talking. We're I guess... beyond talking right now. We're gonna settle this and we're gonna settle but, this in a court of law. But isn't that kind of like crazy though when you think about it because it's like like either they i guess they must have proof but i don't know it it seems like it seems kind of silly to like why not just talk it out Uh, that's what i don't understand but 
I think when a username Sandy Dandy forty five on Instagram uh, writes, <laughs> oh, I, I feel that. bad for the baby. He did not have a chance with Melinda popping painkiller medication every day, and they assume that's her. Right. Like they're cyberbullying, and then there's this. I, I don't even know what to categorize that. Yeah. No, I know. I get that. That's, but like, that's a whole new. I mean, I, unless unless these comments were like something that's like proof that like only Monica knows, but like even still, like I don't know if it's it, there's a difference between speculation and proof, and that's why I'm not necessarily sure. Like, it's one thing if it's like Mike's gonna talk to you tomorrow or something like that. I don't know, but like. But it's another thing if it's just, like, I hope your baby dies. That's That could be, you know, just some random troll. It doesn't necessarily have to be Monica, per se. Yeah, but if if she uttered, if she's here, if, if Melinda overheard an earshot of Monica saying this, then that's a different story, too. True, right? true. I mean, but, like, like, but, like, and that's the other thing. Like, these tweets where, where of the wives where... It says like they're not surprised that it, it this this story came out and that Monica did it, but all that showed was that Monica and Melinda didn't get along. It didn't really show that like this is, Monica actually did that and went that far. And that's that's really what I'm trying to say. It's like I'm not like I wouldn't be surprised if Monica did do this stuff, but I'm not not like a hundred percent there yet. Yeah, you need a hundred percent certainty. Innocence will proven guilty. Exactly, and I and I and I supposedly the police is investigating it, so they will get down to it. But it's like I I just don't like the whole like we're accusing her right away, um, even though we don't know if if she actually did it or not. And otherwise, it's like the Carlsons are witch hunting her for something that she didn't do. And that's something that I'm not necessarily sure um, if, I, if I like that kind of thing. So, and, you know. and we'll talk a bit about that um, in, in a couple of minutes when we get to, like, what, right. go, what, what goes on from here on out. Like, how yeah, do they move on exactly. from this? Sorry, you can uh, go. But you just want to point out some more stuff. The Ottawa Citizen, the first on this story, also stumbled upon social media users coming to Melinda's defense after the Twitter user at Peterson Megan fifty one using an event to filter like the same Instagram again. Else, this was taken from the article. In recent weeks, Kara created a new Instagram profile which she made private. That account calls her a professional packer, unpacker, French dog enthusiast, and champagne lover. After a detailed piece was published on Tuesday, that's when the story came out. A Facebook profile in her name was deactivated. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, if you're really saying you have nothing to hide, why was a Facebook account under her name deactivated the same day the story was put out? Well, I don't know. That's probably... I'm not saying that it's her, but that doesn't look good. True, but that's also like you know maybe she. All right, I guess you're right. <laughs> that, that must be one. That must be one big coincidence, though, if uh, it's not her, right? True, true, but like maybe is she is also getting a lot of messages saying like, yeah, "Hey, I can see that. I how can dare see that. you?" 
I, on I the just, other hand, you gotta wonder what was on that account. I just, I just don't like the idea of accusing her right without having any proof. That That's really True. my biggest thing. And, and, it, and to be fair, and, some of the comments that she has received um, once people have found out about this story yeah. are pretty brutal. Exactly. So... And I can I can also see that you're right. And and I and I also want to say to reiterate that like if it is her, then then yeah she deserves all this all this vitriol. But like mm-hmm. at the moment, like because like losing a baby right away like like that like how the Carlsons did yeah. is probably the worst thing that can happen to a another human being. Um. With, aside from like suicide or something like that, but um, so so that's like a traumatic thing. So to make light of that or to even death threat like threaten death on all these stuff, that's that's like a bridge way too far. So whoever did this, if it's a random tro- troll, if it's Monica, yeah, they should be you know they should be accused and they should you know we should know what happened to them, but... And, and this you know, is all against just, Monica. This isn't against Mike Hoffman. Right. The only thing Mike Hoffman can be accused of is how much of this did he know. Exactly. I don't think Mike Hoffman was behind any of this. Yeah, and we'll get and, to... And I think what's gonna... What's sorry. gonna test him of Mike Hoffman's character is if she is found guilty, if she actually did this, yep. and he sticks with her despite all of that, that is where I think Mike Hoffman gets judged. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that that is probably what's going to happen. Um, I also want to. Yeah, I I was there was another theory out there that I saw someone say that it is possible that Monica has this manic episodes, um, yeah. like some some form of bipolar, and it like it kind of changes your mood and it, it can make you. Uh, kind of loopy and make these accusations that you don't necessarily mean, but you, you also say them and it kind of just ruins relationships, but I don't want to assume that either. So, but it is an interesting theory that it could explain why someone could do that, but it may also not be true. So we'll see. When you talk about, when you look at um, the specific amount of messages that Melinda Carlson mentions in her, um, in her statement that it, we're talking about like 1,000 messages of hatred. And on top of that, it went from November to the end of the season. That is a pretty long lapse Yeah, where like, you, you, like that's, that's, I'm wondering like how much of that is a mood swing if it continues for that long. Right. Well, they, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess that's a good point. I don't know necessarily all about bipolar stuff, but it, it, that that would be a long spring if it is. It, it's fair to say we've never in our lifetime have seen a story like this, at least in the NHL. No, no, even, and that's what, even in the world of sports. I don't think I remember a story like no, that. No, no. The only thing that's kind of close is the uh, is what happened with Brian D'Angelo um, and his yeah, Brian D'Angelo, uh, the GM of the Sixers. But yeah, like, but like, he was, uh, he was his teammates on on uh, like burner accounts. Yeah, but, like, the thing is, is that he was just, he was, he wasn't really insulting. I mean, he was kind of insulting. Like, the worst thing he said was that, like, he disclosed injury information. 
um, oh. about his players. Like, he didn't say, like, I hope he dies and I hope his children yeah, that, die. That's you know, so, so that's the only thing that I think is kind of close because it still has the same kind of thing as where it's, like, anonymous, but we don't necessarily know if it's really them or not kind of thing, but that's the only thing that's close, but it doesn't have that added element of, like, pure craziness. So, um, so that, that there's that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm also kind of surprised that, like, I, I'm sure it's the talk, everyone's talking about this in Canada, whereas in America, we're all focused on where Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is uh, yeah. going. Because he requested a trade on the same day, so um, so that's that's more annoying as an American fan. Where I'm just like, wait, this is like the juiciest story of all time. If this happened in the basketball or NFL, yeah. like you would talk about this for months. This would be on maybe TMZ. years. Yeah, TMZ this, would be breaking yeah, right now. Maybe years, and and yet you're like, no, no, you're not covering this at all. Um, so. It, it, honestly, yes. I would take five more years of Alexi Yashin and Danny Heatley <laughs> than this. This is this is probably the darkest days in sense history, and it's and we still haven't seen uh, yeah, right. an end game to this. this yeah, is we still should. Ongoing. We should. Uh, yeah, we should talk. That that is a good segue to uh, to the aftermath of this. Um, since this is still a police investigation. Um, it's kind of and it's like due process, so we're we're, yeah. we're probably gonna have to wait a while to find out. We, we what won't is know for sure. And we the Sens don't have all day. And that's what I was gonna say. It's because like the drafts coming up. Carlson's yeah. probably a little impatient. So is Hoffman. I I don't see see how. No matter how you slice it, if it turns out it's just a like a random troll, I don't even see how Hoffman and Carlson could be on the same team together. Uh, by next season, um, with all this stuff coming out, and um, so that's why I'm not. So I feel like Hoffman is more likely to be traded, even though we're not sure if it is Hoffman's girlfriend, or if we're not even sure if Hoffman um, knew about it. If 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 it was Monica, so um, so that's where it gets a little dicey. And also, it's like, you know, what team is going to want Mike Hoffman when this kind of thing is in the balance, where you're like, you know, like, <laughs> like is any, I'm just trying to imagine if you're a wife of another team, another team's player, and that team gets Mike Hoffman, and they also get the girlfriend, and you're like, do I trust this person? What's, what's going on? So that's, that, had, that adds a whole new dynamic of things. So and, and you talk about character yeah. issues, and we're going to be talking about this uh, next week, probably. But yeah. there are NHL teams interested in Slava Boynov. Yep. If they're not willing to touch Mike Hoffman and his girlfriend, right. fiance, with a ten foot pole, and they're thinking of bringing in Slava Boynov, I really start to question the morals of some of these organizations. True. Because it's one thing to defame somebody, to say death threats. But beating somebody up physically and getting a second chance makes zero sense to me. Yeah, no, and I agree that that is uh, that is definitely worse than what Hoffman did, or Hoffman's girlfriend supposedly did, I should say. Um, Not much, but yeah. 
She didn't beat anybody up. Yeah, but like, yeah. But it's it's still bad. It's no, still bad. Oh, yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm right, not right, right. saying that what she did wasn't bad. It, 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 allegedly, if, true. if it's true, it's it's very bad. And, yeah, this and whole... It's going to negatively affect Hoffman's career uh, e- even until uh, the truth comes out. He, yeah. Uh, his career, his reputation is going to take a hit. Her reputation is taking a hit. It will still. And and no one's going to pay full value to get Mike Hoffman because yep. you're just like, okay, he's got a modified no trade, two years left on his deal. They're already strapped as to who they can trade him to already. And then you got this news. Right. Why in the world will we pay full value to get this guy? We can just wait and watch him blink. Right. And if Eric Carlson and Melinda are wrong, then even, even if they're wrong, I don't think they can coexist in the same locker room together. Well, that's what I was saying. But, like, if they're wrong, I feel like Carlson's reputation takes a hit as well. Because it's like, yeah. you're, you're accusing a teammate's uh, girlfriend for something that you didn't have proof for. So that, that would be the, um, his reputation would be gone, uh, would be pretty bad too. But, yeah, I, not as bad as if... Mike Hoffman, if this story is actually true for Mike Hoffman. So, so there is that. Um, and I also, by the fact that before all of this, it's easier to trade Mike Hoffman than it is Eric Carlson. Yeah. And they will have to do that in order to afford to keep Eric Carlson. And you Carlson. might not even keep... Especially yeah. when you consider all the talent for them available with the top five pick, they're probably going to take a forward anyway. Yeah, no, you're right. And so even before this news came out, I thought Hoffman getting traded was more likely than Carlson getting traded. Yeah, no, there was rumors forever that Hoffman's probably getting traded. And also, like, Carlson, I mean, Carlson may not even be on the team next, uh, in two years anyway. So it's, it's, it's kind of a tricky situation. And also, added on, next year's draft, um... They don't have a first-round pick. They don't have a first-round pick. So so they could be, like, the worst team in the league, which they might be, um, if, especially if they trade Mike Hoffman and don't get full value for him. And uh, then and Colorado if, 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 will if, get if, Jack uh, Hughes. If Ottawa's pick is the lottery winner, yep. Colorado probably gets Jack Hughes. Exactly. And that's, that's going to... That's, that's Ottawa's worst nightmare. That's that's yeah. how this situation could get worse. Um, and I, I don't know. I wonder what you do because I feel like you could like you should try to get Colorado to like make a trade with Colorado just so you can get your first pick because you know you're gonna stink next year. But I don't know. At the same time, that's just a sign that you're gonna stink next year if you really want that first round pick. So I don't know what. Uh, how they're gonna solve that situation? Um, so yeah, so let's uh, let's go on because I have a feeling more will come out in the coming weeks um, about this. Do you want to know what my best case scenario is? Uh, that the Senators win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in what, five years, yeah. What is um, your best case scenario? Best case scenario is Hoffman gets traded. Somehow Carlson stays. But in order for that to happen, Melnick needs to go. There needs to be a new person in the owner and I and right. in the owner's chair, and I think it's got to be Alfie. Alfie is the only guy, in my opinion, right now. Wait, that you can want him to be an owner? Eric Carlson to stay in Ottawa. He's the only guy. Yeah, that's possible. If it's, any, if it's anyone else, Carlson's out of here. Yeah, I I don't know if 
I feel like being an owner takes more than just, I don't know if Alfredson is qualified to be an owner, but he may be just like a president of hockey operations, and then you have another owner. Um, but yeah, that, I guess uh, that could I, also... I just don't think there's trust with Melnick anymore. Yeah. Like, the fans don't trust him. Yeah. This this whole process, I, I think, um, with how they handled the whole tourist situation, with how they blowballed Alfie, yep. uh, and, and this on top of it, I just think there's no sense of direction with the sense anymore, in my personal opinion. And, and that whole thing with the assistant general in the front manager. office before Carlson would even consider resigning here. And that whole thing with Randy Lee as well, so... Yeah, um, that's another <laughs> kettle of fish. Exactly, yeah. so... Um, yeah, and like I was saying, that I feel like Melnick, Dorian, or Boucher could have just settled this off the field where where they, you know, Carlson didn't have to um, put in a report. If they just talked it out, that's why I feel like those guys are partly responsible. If they knew about it, then they may have been able to settle this off the ice and we would have avoided this whole situation, but at the same time, you might be right that Carlson's and his family and the family may just be too far gone at this point. And it's, yeah, and that's, why, and that's why I'm left over here thinking, how in the world did we get to this point? Yeah. Like, how did it get this far? How did we let it get this far? And yeah. my tolerance of BS, my allegiance to this team is being tested probably <laughs> tenfold right now. Yeah. Yeah, the, the sentence better be careful, or or uh, I might be cheering for another team. Um, which is the, funny. It's one I can take losing. I can take losing, but this is too much. Yeah, no, I wouldn't blame you. And, and I don't blame anyone who decides anymore after reading this. I wouldn't blame anybody. Yeah, no, I wouldn't blame you either. Um. Okay. Uh, we well now it's time to laugh at your an, another team now. Um, so yeah, the, yeah, let's let's laugh at the let's let's laugh at the division rival first year. Exactly. So the uh, the Coyotes um, and the Habs made a one for one deal um, this week. Um, the biggest trade this offseason so far, um, and w- what a surprise! It's a one for one deal. Uh, be, with uh, involving Montreal, um, Bergevin loves those one for ones. Um, anyways, it was uh, Alex Galchenyuk uh, for Max Domi. Um, the thing that's interesting about this is Alex Galchenyuk um, played a natural center, but then all year Claude Julien kind of refused to put him in at the center spot, and his uh, his points total kind of suffered. He, uh, he had 51 points in 82 games last we checked, um, but he was a 30-goal scorer in 2015 to 2016. Anyway, so he's going to Arizona. Uh, supposedly, John Chica already said that Galch- like the main reason why we even made this trade was because Galchenyuk um, is a center, and we're going to make him into a center. So he might be a, t- a second-line center, or he may be a top-line center, depending on how good he is, but um, he'll be with uh, Derek Stepan. Um, and then, um, in return, the Canadians get Max Domi. Um, just to reiterate that uh, Max Domi had nine goals last season. Um, he's ne- he played a little 
bit of center last year for Arizona, but not a ton. Um, he's not really a natural center, but maybe they're going to make him into a center. What I, what I don't really understand about this trade is, like, if you really need centers, you get Max Domi fine, but you're not... Um, but he's not really a center, per se. So that's what I don't understand. He is a good playmaker, though. He has 30, he had 36 assists for a pretty bad Arizona team. Um, so there's that. But it's it's just confusing where it's like, why are you trading your only natural center for a guy who's who who's who's sort of a center? Um, and that's where I'm confused about for if I'm Montreal. Um, but I I am happy that Alex Galchenyuk gets a new chance. It doesn't. It didn't seem like it was working out there in Montreal, and it seems like this is like a new um, place for him that he can can thrive in Arizona. I just don't understand why Montreal would do this trade though. But um, I'm happy that they did it. I guess as a Bruins fan. So yeah, what is your take? So there are a couple of things that are going through my mind. Um, first of all, Max Domi scored 18 goals as a rookie over the two years since he goals. Galchenyuk yep. scored 30 in a single season. Yep. So proven stats at the NHL level, Galchenyuk is better than Domi at this point. But there's a lot of untapped potential, and Shane don't mention this, that Max Domi is just starting to hit his stride as an NHLer. So that's good news if you're Mark Bergman. Um, and you talk about Domi and what he provides. He provides speed and he provides grit. The problem is I think um, the Habs have a bit too much grit and not enough speed and skill. So I don't know necessarily if this makes Montreal any better. Yeah. And the other thing that I have is Max Domi is a left winger. Max Pacioretty who is due for a new contract after next season, is also a left winger. So I'm thinking, okay, Domi at the second line, that's pretty good. Oh, wait, what if they trade Pacioretty? Yeah, that's also that's a good point. They might trade Pacioretty. In which case, if you put Domi as your top line uh, left winger, I'm just thinking, this might not go as well as I thought. Yeah, Yeah, and the other thing is, it's like, Max Domi, like, the Canadians need a lot of scores. Like, they only have Pacioretty as a, a legit scorer. Um, and he didn't even score 20 goals and he didn't even score. the last yeah, year. But last we, year was an off year for Patches. But we know what Patch is capable of. And it's, yeah, it's he's not, capable of scoring 30 goals. Right, absolutely. right. And it's also not Patch's fault that he doesn't have a center. So it's yeah. like... Um, exactly. So, and they the problem. They still yeah. don't have that legit center. Right, so so the, so there is that aspect of things. It's that they still need to find a center unless they like make Max Domi into a center, but I don't understand it. like the other thing I don't understand is like um Alex Galchenyuk was drafted as a center. He played in center, I believe in his juniors um in in the OHL. Um why didn't they just make him a center? Like, I don't understand why they moved him off to the wing. Um, and then you know, instead of Claude Julian being the stubborn guy that he is, uh, wanted, uh, thought that, I guess there was reported that uh, Galchenyuk asked to play center. And then Claude Julian said that you, uh, that it shouldn't matter 
what if you're a winger or a center, you should still be productive regardless of what you play. Um, yeah, and kind of, I think that's yeah. what's going to be different for Galchenyuk is because he's going to get that opportunity in Arizona, and yeah. he didn't really find consistency in Montreal. He was getting moved up and down the lines. He yeah. was moved up and down between you know the wing and the center right. areas. So. He never really got a chance to stay in a stable environment and just thrive. It's that kind never of, happened in Montreal. Kind of, uh, it's kind of similar to this uh, guy in Boston uh, when Claude Julien was around, who was a top-round uh, draft pick, uh, never actually played center because Claude Julien didn't want him to play center. and uh, But it was also really good. He almost scored 30 goals, in fact. Um, and I'm talking about Tyler Sagan. So, um, so I, I'm not saying that Galchenyuk is a Tyler Sagan, but, um, but there are definitely parallels there where it's like, oh, like when I heard this news, it's like, of Galchenyuk is not playing center, even though that's his natural position. I'm like, oh, that reminds me of the time when Tyler Sagan wanted to play center, but he, he didn't for whatever reason. So, um, I don't know. I guess... I guess Claude Julien has this, like, method of, like, you have to be defensive if you're going to play center, and that's the vital role of it. And Galchenyuk wasn't defensive enough when he was at the center, but or same with Sagan. But at the same time, like, Sagan and Galchenyuk are shooting centers, and they shoot a lot, and they score a lot as centers, so it's... Um, and we know that, that they are capable of being a good center now, so it's it's just I don't know, it's a little it's a little weird to me. What's also interesting, you talk about centers, and we're probably going to be talking about this in the later shows. Uh, yeah. John Tavares and the New York Islanders have been in constant talks for the past three weeks. So the more they talk, the less chance uh, Montreal has of snagging him. True. And. and and you look at uh, the deal they were able to sign Domi to. They signed to a two-year deal, $3.15 million AAV. Um, that's cheaper than Galchenyuk and what he's getting by a bit. And then on top of that, by like $1.5 million or something like that. And then on top of that, Galchenyuk is going to be a UFA at the end of his deal, whereas Domi is still going to be an RFA at the end of his current deal True. that he just signed. So... They still have control over Domi, whereas they wouldn't over Galchenyuk. And they didn't really save so, a ton of money, too, by signing yeah, Domi. They, they saved a bit, but not drastic where, okay, we can afford to re-sign John Tavares. Right, right. So they still, if they have any hope of getting Tavares or an established center, they still need to move some pieces. And even if you move some pieces, is, do you really still have the depth to be a Stanley Cup contender? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think so. I think you just have to hope. Well, the real thing about the Canadians is you need to have a healthy Shea Weber and you have to have a healthy Carey Price, and that yeah. that's something that and you the can't top really. Of their games too, yeah. Yeah, and and that's something that you can't really guarantee. And then you also need to get a center, so uh, that's the other thing. Now um, we're talking about uh, Galchenyuk. Here's another thing I wanted to mention about Galchenyuk, and uh, this came about uh, through completely uh, through complete hockey news. Alex Galchenyuk's father, Alexander, which is a different spelling. It's Alexander without the E between the D and the R. Uh, Apparently, according to Francois Gagnon, is not the best kind of hockey dad. Uh, Francois Gagnon said this. 
After each Habs home game, Galchenyuk will join his father out of the locker room to discuss his performances. Regular witnesses of these meetings, the journalists were able to see the young player being verbally berated several times by his dad. Over the last few seasons, players whose names I will not mention have pointed out that Galchenyuk consulted his cell phone during intermissions to read observations and instructions sent by his father during the periods. Yep. It's one thing to have all that pressure in Montreal stacked upon you, but then when you got a voice like your dad telling you what to do on top of the coach and on top of you know the media and the criticism, how can you really flourish? True. And that's something that Arizona is going to have to address because that that is not going to stay in Montreal. His dad is right. probably going to go with him to Arizona and probably still dissect plays. And at that point, you need to say, hey, I know you care about your son. I know you care about his well-being, but you got to let the coaches do their job. I was, yeah, I was about to say, I think, uh, apparently I'm looking here on Elite Prospect that uh, his dad was actually a hockey player, but he never yeah. played in the NHL. Um, <laughs> but, um, so it's like, it's one of those things where it feels like maybe this father is trying to, like, live vicariously through his son playing in or the NHL. maybe in an odd way tell him don't make the same mistake that I made or... yeah also something like that but um but yeah it is it was a weird story what I what I had a problem with is I mean of course I had a problem with like this fact that like this father was being like too much of a helicopter parent but the other problem I had is like why didn't we know about this sooner like just like yeah. right after he was traded we find this out it seems kind of ridiculous. Like, um, why? So, if you really cared about his health, his mental health, why not like talk about it then when it when he was in Montreal instead of I don't know, instead of like okay, it's now Arizona's problem and this is what happened. It's just like well, I don't know. Um, so that that was a little strange to me in that sense. Speaking of Arizona, um, hopefully. Uh, the father's situation gets sorted out. I hope he doesn't have to deal with it in Arizona, but we'll see. Um, Oliver Ekman Larson um, looks to be, uh, looks like he has a verbal agreement with the Coyotes. It's not, you can't make it official until July 1st anyways, but um, so it's not on cap friendly yet, but it looks like it's going to be an eight year deal. Uh, worth $64 million, so that's approximately $8 million annual average value. Um, so, yeah, it, I think this is a good kind of deal for him. It's OEL's been one of the most underrated defensemen in in the game for a while now, um, but so it is kind of cool that they get him locked up long-term, uh, especially with all these young guys um, in the league right now. I didn't realize this, but uh, OEL is 26 years old, um, or the Swedish law firm, as you say. So, yeah. Um, so it's uh, so he's not like he's not like 30 years old or anything. He's he's still pretty young, and he still has some years left in him. So, um, so hopefully the the Coyotes can work with uh, can um, you know get to work and um I think they can make their potential playoff team now that they have Galchenyuk um uh, Clayton Keller was pretty good it all really depends on Dylan Strom and um and Chikrin and how those two uh will uh do this coming year but 
And possibly anti-Ranta in goal. And anti-Ranta. But I'm not as worried about anti-Ranta, considering he had a phenomenal second half. Um, But, yeah, you're right. He he does need to be more consistent in that regard. But, um, yeah, so I I am curious to see how Dylan Strom fits in with this this organization and how Chikorin does as well. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. we'll see. So, um, speaking of this contract, we can't really tell you the details because it's still a verbal agreement, so much so that Cap Family hasn't even posted it That's on what their I site. Said. Yeah. Uh, what we can tell you in the previous deal, it was a six-year deal signed in the 2013 offseason, uh, and he was getting paid an average of $5.5 million per season. Um, this team has been in the NHL's bottom for so long. He's still willing to stick it out despite... Paints despite the future arena stuff. Will it happen? Won't it happen? He could have bailed to another city, to a better team uh, that has a better shot of winning the cup than Arizona. Instead, he decides to stay here. He trusts the youth movement. He wants to be a part of it. But the most important thing about this contract is Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty have not been paid yet. Yep. And now they're going to look at this as a buffer. They're going to say, okay, Ekman Larson who uh, has scored 25 game winners since the start of the 2013-2014 season. Uh, that's the best by uh, by far of any defenseman over that stretch. Is getting paid eight, $8.25 million per season for the next eight years, verbally. I'm worth more than what he's getting. So they are going to be asking for more than what Ekman Larson is getting. Because with all due respect to Ekman Larson, he's good. But Dowdy and Carlson are better. Yep. So if Ekman Larson is getting this amount of money over this amount of uh, time, they deserve to be paid more, and they are going to get more. And uh, if I'm L.A. and if I'm Ottawa, I'm shaking in my boots after this signing because um, I know that my wallet is going to be hurting once I pay these guys. Yeah, I feel, I like, I feel like that's going to be another situation where it's going to be like, once Dowdy signs or once Carlson signs, it's going to be like, oh, okay. Then Dowdy's going to be like, okay, I want what Carlson has. Or Carlson's going to be, I want what Dowdy has. Um, Because they're closer together in terms of comparables than OEL is. But, but yeah, it seems like it's going to be more than what OEL got. Just a little bit more. But um, not to say that OEL is bad, because he's not. Um, but I feel like Carlson and Dowdy will get more just because they they have been more consistent um, throughout the years. But I um, think both of them could be signing a, a deal that pays them an average of nine point five to ten million per season. I can really see that. Yeah, that's definitely possible. Um, it just really depends on if if that's going to be on the Kings or if that's going to be on the Senators, yeah, and that's exactly. that's the bigger Someone question. Someone is going to be paying them that money. Yeah. Well, whether it's their actual, the team that they're currently on, that yeah. remains to be seen. There will be a team in this league that's going to offer them that kind of money. Exactly, yeah. Um, however, I'm not necessarily sure that they should because, like, I think both Dowdy and Carlson are nearing 30 at the end of their contract. So I don't know if I would give them a max contract for that kind of stuff because they'll probably decline a bit. Um, but we'll see. Um Okay, so then uh, speaking of some young guys, uh, we go to the opposite end of that. The Toronto Marlies uh, won the Calder Cup 
um, which is just Toronto finally has a championship. Uh, it's like another sign of the apocalypse. Uh, first, the, yeah, it was an HGTV two yeah. on home ice. Like yeah. so much history. First, the uh, Capitals, and now the Toronto Marlies. Um, I think the kind of cool thing about this is that there are a couple of guys that um, that kind of stood out to me uh, on the Toronto Marlies that I uh, wanted to mention. Uh, Timothy Lilligren, who was the 2017 draft pick uh, for Toronto last year. Um, he had some good games. Um, also, uh, Andreas Johnson, um, who is a left winger, he had two goals and one assist. Last, um, in the last game, the clinching game. Um, and yeah, then, and I believe he also won playoff MVP. Yeah. He had uh, 10 goals and 24 points in 16 playoff games. Yeah, so that's uh, really impressive. Um, and then you also have uh, Garrett Sparks, who uh, who was a pretty good uh, goaltender for them down the stretch. Um, he only yeah. gave up one goal uh, in 30 shots. Um, so... So there's that. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and what's also interesting is what's going to happen with their coaching staff because guys like DJ Smith and Sheldon Keefe have really made a name for themselves at the AHL level. At some point in the NHL level, you would think they're going to gain some interest. So yeah, um, the the Maple Leafs might be wise to start promoting from within uh, if they don't want to risk losing those guys because I don't think they're going to be in the AHL for that much longer. Yeah, I don't. I I think Lilligren will probably be in the lineup next year, especially since Toronto needs defensemen. Um, I could also see Travis Dermont as well in the... Janssen uh, probably as well. Janssen as well. But I was just talking about defensemen, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Janssen will probably be have some time in the NHL. The thing with Toronto is that they are, you know, they have Marner, they have Matthews, they have Nylander. It's not necessarily that they need a ton of forwards, so maybe they make a trade and uh, send some of these guys over so that they can help on de- get like a defenseman, um, which is their need right now um, in the main club. So, so maybe that is something that they could look into. But um, they could also move up uh, Lilligren, Dermott, and um, there's another one I miss. Oh, Borgman. Um, as well, so, um, so that's also possible. Um, we're actually, yeah, we have an we're at an hour thirty seven, so uh, well, it's, <laughs> we're kind of running out of time here. Um, social media um, is uh, lace them up, uh, lace up podcast. Our uh, Facebook is lace them up where we'll post all our episodes um, so you can keep up to date. If you follow those two social media accounts, you should be up to date on our newest episodes. Or you can also check us out on SoundCloud, which you probably are checking out right now. Um, And uh, we're also on iTunes. We should be on iTunes as well. So um, that's another place that you can look to see um, how we do. I believe that's it. We'll have uh, we'll have a lot of draft coverage next week, as well as a, a unrestricted free agent uh, preview uh, for next week. Um, I I think we can disclose that we have a guest coming on. 
possibly. Yeah, on, on paper, um, I think, um, barring any unforeseen circumstance, well, I guess uh, to talk about that, maybe uh, break down the NHL awards, we'll see. Uh, those are happening on Wednesday. Draft is happening Friday and Saturday. So yep. a busy week in the world of hockey ahead, and uh, we hope you enjoy. Okay, so speaking of this, it's according to Eric Ingalls, who I think works for the NHL Network. Uh, Sportsnet, I know for sure he does. Okay, yes. Sportsnet. He, co- he, co- he covers the Habs as well. Anyway, so he just tweeted out, things changed so quickly. A week ago, I didn't think it was likely the Habs would pass on Zadina at three. Now, after speaking to several people, it seems they're locked in on Kata Kanemi. They'll move it down to take him if they can, but it seems they're willing to take him at three. So, so we may have been on to something. Um, <laughs> yeah, they clearly listened to this podcast yeah, exactly. before it even went to air. Well, yeah. I mean, partially the reason why I even picked Kata Kanemi at three was because I read stuff that they were interested in him at three. So... Um, and also, uh, Hosa said that he is not retired, which is kind of interesting because he is not retired. Um, I'm not sure. Maybe from the NHL. Yeah, but isn't it like a... You could, you could play in Europe, but... Uh, isn't it like an allergy thing? Like, I thought... Yeah. It, like, he Pretty can't... Pretty severe allergy. Right, so... An infection of some sort, yeah. So I don't understand how he could he couldn't play. I don't know. Maybe he's trying to get out of the technicality because he's still. I guess he can still be put on LTIR, um, yeah. possibly. So that's probably why he's claiming he's not retired, even though he can't play really. So I don't know. Yeah, Anyways, we'll, we'll follow up on that story uh, when we know more. Yeah, exactly. Um, I was just looking online to see what other news happened. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 131 of the Lace Em Up podcast.